Plugged In podcast, a new project from the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome to the Plugged In podcast. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. Yesterday, IER's policy director, Kenny Stein, testified before the Energy Subcommittee of the House Science, Space, and Technology Committee on the topic of solar and wind energy technologies. Here's the audio of his testimony. Thank you, Ms. Hopper. Mr. Thank Stein. You. Mr. Chairman, thank you for the opportunity to participate in the subcommittee hearing on the federal government involvement in solar and wind energy research. My name is Kenny Stein. I'm the policy director for the Institute for Energy Research. We're a free market organization that conducts research and analysis on the functions, operations, and government regulation of global energy markets. The purpose of the federal government funding for research in any industry should be limited and clearly defined. The justification for such funding is that research in emerging or novel technologies would not otherwise be provided by private interests, whether companies or individuals. This is a reasonable role for the government to play. However, this can't be a license to spend money. Federal support should not go to projects that private interests already have a clear incentive to develop. Far too often, it's the case that the federal government provides grant money to companies to subsidize activities that they would already be undertaking. The content of the discussion drafts for this hearing slips into precisely this error. Wind and solar generation are widespread and well understood. Utilities and independent generators across the country have announced large targets for investments in increasing wind and solar installations, some of which were mentioned by a previous witness. This action uh, is being taken in response to regulatory and consumer demand. Uh, this investment record doesn't suggest a shortage of private sector funding or commitment to what wind and solar generation. The companies making these investments already have market and regulatory incentives to, quote, uh, increase efficiency, reliability, security, and capacity of wind and solar generation, which is just quoting the first mission bullet of the discussion draft. Both the wind and solar industries are mature industries with plenty of private sector interest and in investment in innovation and deployment. We're not talking about nascent or speculative in industry. The need for federal funding at all is pretty debatable, to put it mildly. If federal money is still required at this point, the question must be asked, is there ever going to be a point where enough is enough? Given the already high rate of wind and solar investment, it's hard to see how more federal invention could possibly be beneficial. In fact, a heavier, heavier federal hand could end up limiting growth and innovation. The federal government, slow and process constrained as it is, cannot adjust rapidly to technological developments. As new operating processes or products enter the market, it can be left funding old or obsolete initiatives. Indeed, federal interference of the sort envisioned by these discussion drafts can actually lead an industry to spend its time trying to meet federal benchmarks for grants rather than asking the question whether an alternative might make more sense, which could ironically actually limit innovation. The best example of an appropriate role for the federal research funding can be found in the earliest days of solar gen energy generation. Early solar panels with poor efficiency found little uptake for terrestrial resource uses, However, the burgeoning space program identified solar as a potential energy source for spacecraft. Government funding from NASA then helped develop solar technology to the point where it is usable in space applications. And then years later, solar companies built on that foundation to develop the generation technologies that are now being applied to terrestrial electricity generation. The lesson here is that the federal government didn't choose a solar technology and then try to commercialize it or reduce its costs. The basic technology was developed for a specific national purpose, with private innovation later finding applications for the private market. This is how the process should work. The federal government does not have the characteristics or competency to be a startup accelerator, but it can, it can effectively provide a base level of data and information for private innovators to build on. 
Thus, a better path forward for federal research spending would be focusing on the original mission that I suggested above, funding emerging or novel technologies and applications not otherwise supported by private interests. One example of this kind of focus is the National Renewable Energy Laboratory research uh, into the use of perovskite materials mentioned earlier in solar cells. This is the kind of basic research the federal government should be funding, leaving private entities to determine the most useful applications of these discoveries. There is a legitimate federal role in supporting such basic research that has the potential to improve the overall well-being of the American people or is required to meet a specific federal need. Note that this is not just a branding exercise with anything called early stage or basic becoming eligible for funding. Federal research spending should focus on truly novel technologies or applications. Further, this should not just be a license to spend more money. Clearly focusing federal priorities means discarding some spending areas sometimes to hone in on research at, for example, the national labs or universities, a case where less can actually be more effective. The, pre the premise underlying these discussion drafts then, in my opinion, is unsound. Mature industries like the wind and solar generation sectors with extensive and dynamic economic activity are not in need of federal interference, however well-intentioned. While basic research is a reasonable federal role, responsibility for later phases of the business cycle, such as commercialization or deployment, is best left in the hands of the industry itself. Thank you. Okay, now I'm joined by our policy director, Kenny Stein. Kenny, thanks for coming in to talk about your experience on the Hill yesterday. Yep, sure. So I always think it's interesting when uh, free market-oriented people have to go up on the Hill and testify in these hearings. My guess is it's probably not always the most welcoming environment. Um, before we dive into your testimony, you mind just give us a little bit of an idea of what that experience is like? Yeah, sure. So each each committee is a little different. There's House committees, Senate committees, and their processes for inviting witnesses and approving witnesses it sort of varies. And it has a lot to do with negotiations between whoever the ranking member and the majority, you know, the chairman of the committee. And that depends on, you know, that they're obviously going to be of opposing parties. So sometimes there'll be negotiation over how many witnesses there are going to be. Uh, there might be if someone, the majority might veto, you know, a suggested uh, witness that the minority wants to bring in. So that, that the whole, there's a whole negotiation process that goes on in advance. Ultimately, the majority chairman has can organize things almost almost however he wants to, but normally they'll, they allow the minority to have at least one witness. Um, sometimes if there's like, if there's like seven or eight people that are going to be on the panel, they might let them have two witnesses or if the ranking member and chairman get along really well, or it's a topic that everyone is mo pretty close to, you know, it might be two and two or something like that. So in this particular instance, I was the, I was the one, uh, witness invited by the minority. Uh, the other three witnesses were invited by the majority. Even though one of them was actually, he was, he was a federal employee for the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. So he's, he's and his testimony is, uh, is, is pretty nonpartisan. So he was more there for, to pro provide information and detail on what the federal government's actually doing. So that's, basically it's, every no two times is it really truly the same. But ultimately what happened is that the, the minority staff uh, reached out to me and asked me if I was able to do it, um, set up the schedule, Got it. I wrote up uh, my testimony, which can be the opening statement has a limit on time, but you know you could write, you could submit hundreds of pages as part of your testimony if you wanted, and that goes into the official record and everything. 
Yes, so your, the hearing that you were involved in yesterday was on wind and solar, uh, the future of wind and solar technologies. And a lot of the testimony that we saw, we heard a lot of the usual things that we sort of hear from wind and solar advocates touting the advances that they've made in terms of levelized cost and um, the jobs that the in their industries have created. If that's the case in terms of the gains that they've made, uh, why is it the case that groups like OEA and SEIA are uh, up on the hill asking for subsidies still? Right. That's what's interesting is that it seems like every week you, there's a new press release or or you know, article, journal, journalism article, really, that's mass, the press release masquerading as a journalism article talking about how cheap wind and solar are and how, I think there was one that, that claimed that 80% of electricity generation could be replaced by wind and solar tomorrow, and it would be cheaper than what we have now, a lot of those things. But when when it gets down to brass tacks, you've got, as you said, you've got a, a WIA and a CIA up on the hill asking for more money for research and development which that those are kind of at loggerheads. It's the, that does beg the question, you know, if, is this really uh, a ready for prime time uh, generation source or is it still, you know, getting its legs under it? And honestly, my, the thrust of my testimony is you heard is the, that this is, this is a widespread, well understood industry. Like there's all, you've got the wind and solar companies themselves, but you also have huge utilities that are making, investing billions of dollars into this. You've got individual companies too, people like Google and Amazon, some of these other big tech companies that are themselves doing huge, making huge investments into this. So it's not clear at all that there is even a need at all for federal investment in this field. Certainly not in the existing technologies, and the, and this is the the difference between, you know, your basic R and D. That was the ultimately the core of this discussion was basic R and D. And I sort of said this: basic R and D. It's fine to do that for the federal government to do that. You know, making new discoveries is that's that's the kind of stuff that there's a federal purpose for that. You know, researching vaccines that people wouldn't otherwise research. You know, specific things like you know, specific new materials for building ships or airplanes, you know, there's, there's, there's rooms for the federal government to do some of that research. But when we start talking about, and this is what, there's a lot of discussion, both from OLEA and SEIA about not the basic research, but about how to make their product cheaper or to how to make it easier for them to move, you know, to, to sell their, to sell their product. Basically. Yeah. That was, that was something that I wanted to ask you about is, yeah, I, your testimony seemed to focus on the, uh, the use of federal funds for like the commercial commercialization of uh, of these technologies. Uh, why was your focus there? And if you could just walk through uh, the arguments that you sort of laid out in your testimony there again. Yeah. So there's I, I it depends on obviously there's different theories to it, but the way I broke it down was sort of three phases of the business cycle of a given technology or a, you know a new product is the the research phase, the basic research development phase. Developing the research, I should say. Then there's a commercialization. That's figuring out how you apply. Like you've got a new material that might work for a solar cell, but figuring out does it only work in Southern California or does it work throughout the country? Or, you know, does it need to be in a giant panel? Can it be in a small panel? Can it be on roofs? You know, where can you use it? That's the kind of commercialization, figuring out how to use it that'll actually make money. And then deployment is the the actual building process, going out and putting it on a roof or building a solar a wind, solar farm or that sort of thing. That, so th that's what I sort of identify as the three 
different phases. And my argument was that that first phase of discovery and research, it's reasonable to have the federal government involved there because that's the area where there, there's a reasonable argument that private sector companies aren't going to drop you know, a billion dollars to research some speculative technology if they've already got something that they can build today. So that's the argument for having the federal government there. Like, again, we can argue about how much money should be spent there, what should be researched. There's a lot of, there's a lot of federal research that's frankly wasteful, but there is at least a reasonable argument there. Once you start getting to commercialization and deployment, though, that's, there are private markets incentivize that. Like there is an once you have once you have a material for solar panels, there is a market incentive to find ways to use it. The federal government doesn't. The other thing is 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 this idea. This is the idea that you go back to the stimulus and the Obama administration tried to do too, of having the federal government as like a venture capitalist or a startup accelerator to try and figure out you know what company has the best idea for using something. The federal government's not good at that. Like, we, we end up wasting money. Sure, it, it yeah. creates a bunch of bad incentives yeah, because right. the companies start following what they think the government wants right, instead of right. well, yeah, they're actually not, trying to discover yeah. and, uh, what's the best way to deploy a technology or something. Yeah. Well, I, I made that point briefly that, and people who have dealt with federal grants before understand this, but most people don't understand a, a federal grant, there's a bunch of benchmarks that you have to meet in order to get your money. And to get the next tranche of money, if it's a you know if it's a you know a research proposal over ten years and you get money each year, you have to meet benchmarks to keep getting the money. But the problem is, is that in in a business context like this, that means your business plan and everything you're doing and you know the installation, all your application, that's to meet the government's schedule. It's not if you get five years into it and you discover actually this isn't working, we need to do something else. But then you lose that money. So you're 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 sort of teaching to the test, like you're rather than sure. trying to find the best business proposal. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. One of the other uh, witnesses actually said, "Well, in the private sector, companies aren't incentivized to discover the what the the best way to deploy something." And it seems to me, at least, it, it's kind of striking how wrong that gets it because. We don't know what the best way is. You want a bunch of different companies trying to do different things. And I guess it just shows the, the stark contrast between the way that they sort of approach things and the way that we think about uh, competition in the marketplace. Yeah. Well, and that's I think that's part of a big part of the history of particularly the solar industry. And that was the, the SEIA uh, uh, CEO who said that the solar industry has is, is been driven and by government for decades now, like it's really took off in the '70s with Jimmy Carter trying to force solar as a you know as an alternative to the the oil crisis and that sort of stuff. So it's pretty obvious that that industry is in their mentality is a government driven mentality. Uh, now, hopefully that's changing with because costs, solar panel costs have come down so much recently. There's a lot more private interest in finding applications for that. That's why I talk about some of the, the Googles and Amazons of the world trying to, even Walmart putting solar panels on the roofs of their giant stores to lower energy costs. So breaking out of that a little bit, but you can tell that this, just from the language she was using, and, and frankly, the, the AWEA CEO too, they still have very much a... Uh, a symbiotic attitude towards the towards the federal government and federal money. 
and I don't think that does them any favors because it leads them having to come back and beg for money uh, on Capitol Hill rather than going out and getting to the business of you know running their business. Yeah, my guess is that there were probably a few things that were discussed uh, during the different interactions during the hearing yesterday that you either didn't have a chance to respond to or uh, maybe there just wasn't time for it. So could you just pick out maybe one or two of those things that you think, wish you had the opportunity to, to maybe say uh, yesterday? Yeah, sure. Then this, going back to your original question, this is sort of a, a, a vignette about how, how these hearings go. Normally the the you know the majority asks their witnesses questions and ignore the other witnesses and then the minority asks their witness questions and so there's not there's not a huge amount of debate that goes on in most of these hearings so and every now and then you get some debate but it's it's pretty rare so there's not like I wasn't given an opportunity to respond or follow up on a lot of things that were said but just two of the things that um, jumped out to me that was there was a lot of discussion of and I I sort of got to mention it but it didn't didn't get to respond was one is there's a lot of discussion particularly from AWEA about uh, improving transmission and long distance transmission and then and that's a big problem with wind power because wind the wind is usually blowing out in rural areas that are not populated and you've got to get that power over very long distances without losing all your like all your electrons you've got to get it to the population centers and that transmission stuff is very expensive and we actually mentioned how the state of Texas, which is one of the, is the largest wind power producer, subsidized to the tune, I think he said $7 billion of high voltage transmission across the state. That was, I mean, that was government money that subsidized that. That was, that was not done due to private incentives. And, but that's a, an important thing to note that that was not, that's not a research thing. Like it's, he, we kept trying to present it as, oh, we need to research better ways to trans, do transmission and that sort of thing. But what it really is is subsidizing transmission and it's, make, it's subsidizing this transmission improves the economics of wind. So wind, if you, could, if you can get wind from Nebraska to Chicago, you know, that power is gonna, probably going to be a little cheaper than stuff generated in Chicago if you don't account for the costs of getting it there. If the government pays for the costs of getting it there, suddenly, oh, that looks nice and cheap. Sure. So, but again, that's the, this was, goes back to my point that that's not research. That's just, that's subsidizing the deployment of a given product. I mean, that's, that shouldn't be the government's business. And that's, that's true picking winners and losers, putting your finger on the scale. Because that transmission, those, those additional transmission lines are completely duplicative. Because we already have an existing electricity grid that moves power around from all the existing power plants that we have, and it serves it serves our market like we're, we don't have growing consumption. So, dropping in new wind power facilities in new places that are completely out in the middle of nowhere, you have to overlay new transmission over all the existing transmission, and there's no real economic reason for doing that. So that's why they're asking for subsidies or they're asking for mandates from state governments. That's the other thing. Um, so that part of it, that to me, that is actually a, was a perfect example of what I meant by government subsidy, not research. And, but they kept, we kept bringing it up and talking about it, you know, transmission as if, as if this was some sort of research thing for the government to fund. It just, it was, you know, it was just such a glaring, obvious thing that they were kind of making my point, I felt like. But of course, I didn't get, wasn't able to point that out. <laughs> um, but then the other thing, which I did get to mention a little bit, was 
there was also a lot of discussion, both uh, Dr. Green from the National Renewable Energy Laboratory and uh, Tom Kiernan from OEA were talking a lot about new types of wind turbines. And the taller wind turbines are more efficient with longer blades. That's more efficient. That's very well known that that's, there's higher winds at higher elevations, larger blades capture more of that energy. The thing is, is that our roads are only so big. They're not designed for these giant blades that are, you know, can be, I don't even know how big they're getting to, but we're yeah, talking hundreds, hundreds of feet, of feet yeah. you know, we're talking massive things. So there's discussion of trying to come up with modular manufacturing processes so you can break those giant blades down and move them on the roads to their construction site, reassemble them, and then build this giant wind turbine. And that's a very interesting engineering challenge. It's, it's important. It's going to be crucial if wind is going to keep growing. But it's, that's optimizing manufacturing processes. That's the, this isn't basic research. Like, we already know what we're trying to do is just finding, finding the best, most economical way to do that. And that's, there's, there's an economic incentive there yeah. for private companies to do this research. And frankly, the private companies have the engineering expertise to do it. And again, here we had we had the two witnesses discussing this, uh, you know, taller wind turbines, bigger blades, like, oh, this is a great place for the federal government to do research on. It's like, no, this that's that's basic manufacturing processes that they already have an incentive to do. There's there's absolutely no reason for the federal government to be involved in that stuff. So again, there was another one that like the transmission discussion. It I felt like they were making my point for me, but I didn't necessarily have the chance to point out the silliness of what they were talking about. <laughs> A full video of Kenny's testimony can be found on IER's website. Kenny, thanks for taking the time to talk about your experience on the yeah. hill yesterday. Thank you.